Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to the latest Gunners Town podcast. It is a duo today. It is myself and the fabulous um, Mr. Shewar. Um, are you Mr. Shewar, Senor Shewar? How do you like to be referred to, Gav? Oh, Gav's not Gav. Normally, <laughs> just Gav. Just Gav. It's just it's just just the two of us. Just the just two, the of, two us. of us. We can make it. No, we won't. We won't bore people <laughs> with our horrible, horrible non-dulcet tones. Right, as is our modus operandi on this podcast, we do a thirty-minute podcast, and I am starting for you, good viewer, the uh, timer now because we've got a few bits to get through, haven't we, Gav? Even though there's two of us, there's plenty to talk about. Um, the guys last week talked a little bit about William. So we'll just do that for like 30 seconds a minute because they talked about most of it. Uh, they also talked about the Meza Ozil stuff. Uh, so we won't talk about too much about that. But I would probably just reiterate and per my personal opinion, which is um, see if you can find a buyer. If you can't find a buyer because he's on money, which is just too ridiculous, then we get ourselves back on the wagon, hopefully back on the wagon. And I hopefully... Mikel Arteta can actually use him because there's no point in having a 350 grand a week asset that you're just going to bin off, even if you're just using him sparingly in the cup competitions or not as a regular starter. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about speculation uh, transfers towards the end um, and that sort of stuff. But before we talk about Raul, actually, what I thought I'd do, Gav, is can we just take a couple of minutes because there's been some news that's come out like literally a couple of hours ago at us, the time of uh, recording uh, on this Wednesday evening that we're doing it, that uh, Pybury Corner has shut. And if you uh, listen to the podcast, but you uh, if you don't often go to the games or you don't get the chance to go to the games, maybe it's because of geography or what have you, um, you may or may not know about the guys at Pybury Corner. Um, fantastic little shot, which started as a literally, as we were saying before we went on air, just as a small sort of pie shop, little sort of tiny uh, hole, almost hole in the wall type thing, um, which has then evolved into um, a shop which was on Holloway Road. And then they also opened a shop in King's Cross. And sadly, they've made the announcement today that um, they're going to be closing, which I think is a real shame because I don't know about you how you feel about it Gav but from my perspective I've almost seen it as a bit of a, a rite of passage like I remember my dad's not a massive football fan but I remember the first time in my 20s just saying to him uh, we're going to a game together and I told him that there was a pie and mash shop and he was like oh well we've got to go there and it was almost like a, it's a rite of passage to be able to get a pie from Pybury Corner you're a proper Arsenal fan when you've got a, a pie from Pybury Corner so just give us some thoughts on on what on your your general thoughts around it, Gav, and, uh, yeah, no, and, and I mean, sad news. Yeah, I, yeah, no, it, it, it is sad. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've I've got all the time in the world for Paul and Nicky, uh, Paul's missus uh, at Pybury Corner. I actually came in touch with them. Well, blimey, it must have been about nine, ten years ago, and I saw someone comment on their Facebook, uh, and I approached Paul and said, look. I said, you know, I run a quite sizable Facebook page. Let's do a competition, make it a bit of fun, and you know, give somebody away a pie sort of thing. And so we've done that, and Paul was happy with that. And I remember my fondest memory actually was one of the only members of my family that's not an Arsenal supporter is actually supports Southampton, and. He was coming up on the coaches because uh, he goes home and away, mental Southampton. Uh, 
he did actually, believe it or not, when he lived with my grand, he lived with my grandparents and my mum uh, when he got his first job up London. So he used to, because he couldn't go to Southampton, he actually used to go Arsenal. So he's got a soft spot for us and obviously yeah. all the families missed and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, yeah, this one time I said, oh, I'll meet you by uh, the corner of Avenel Road. I said, my mate's got a pie shop. So I've met I've met my cousin and uh, we've got a couple of cans and we've got some pies and we literally just sat on the floor. <laughs> right? Literally sat on the floor and had a couple <laughs> of cans, had a pie, had a chat with uh, with Paul. And yeah, and then like I say, then when Paul moved over to the place down Holloway Road, another fluke of coincidence is when he was taking off the, the you know, taking off the old signage. Underneath it was a sign for a pie shop called Williams Pie and Mash. Now, my mum used to bunk off school and go in there and have a pie and have a milkshake. So when Paul moved into that place, it was almost like the pies are coming back to Islington. It, yeah. it was it was really sort of like a you know a a poignant moment really. It was like almost like bringing back on a historical moment because, that, you know, that was a pie shop in, you know, we're almost talking 100 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so like I say, it is a shame. They will be missed. It is a, a sort of a landmark sort of place to go. Uh, you know, Paul and Nicky have been very nice to me over the years. Uh, and, you know, like I say, I've, I've always got time to go for a beer with Paul. He's, he's the mad Scottish bucko is always good value for a beer. Do you know what I mean? And we, yeah. we've had a few mad nights as well. So, uh, yeah, like I say, I wish them all the best. I hope they uh, they phoenix out of it, uh, yeah. which I'm sure they will do. Uh, but like I say, it, it's tough on all of the small businesses mm. uh, around Arsenal. I mean, it, it's, you know, like I say, it, it's the, the CAF opposite, which is now getting uh, had 500 mil sponsored by a deal a club done with Cadbury's, yeah, uh, which is brilliant. But as I say all the little businesses in there and the pubs, which depend on a decent amount of payday from football supporters, they're they're all they're all, all struggling. So it, it's a huge. Yeah, I know you're joining me in saying it, it's a huge shame. Yep. What's happened here? But like I say, you know, fingers crossed. You know, this virus back. gets resolved and they phoenix out of it. Yeah, yeah, and we can hopefully we can see them back up and running again. And and like you said, with all of those those small businesses that rely on it. And do you know it's quite easy, isn't it, to as, as Arsenal fans, you know, on on the social medias, uh, spending your time. You know, what happened with the fifty five redundancies is tragic, and you know we all have our opinions about it, but really it's situations like this that do hit home just how much this situation and just how much uh, the industry and various industries have been hit by this virus and all all we were thinking about you but all i was thinking about was oh well i can't go to the football anymore and i can't share a pint with the lads anymore and i can't go to you know uh, duchess anymore or uh, the tollington or wherever it is or shea i can't go to any of those pubs but actually the reality is so much more than that. You've got the merchandisers, you've got the program sellers, you've got the the food uh, distributors, you've got the pubs, you've got um, 
you know, all of these sort of places are being affected. So we just got to keep fingers crossed because what we want when this all returns back to normal is we, we want, want that normal. We want, we want back want to normal. Back to... And like I say, the, the, the problem is he's Islington Council, without getting political over anything really or too political over it, Islington Council are often dismissive of the income that match day supporters actually bring into the borough. Mm. And you know, I've said this on an, on my previous podcast before they sacked me. Thank you very much, Danny. Uh, the there's a lot of very very poor areas in Islington. There's a lot of estates that are very very poor. We go in on a match day and see people with money in their pockets and with people spending you know, money on food and blah 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 blah. But there's a lot of very poor areas, very poor estates in Islington, and a lot of students as well. And these sort of people actually almost depend on, you know, getting their five or six hours work on a match day. Uh, so, like I say, it's the local community as well that's suffering. I mean, like Paul will have on a match day at Parbury Corner, I mean, what, five, six, seven local people working there? Yeah. And they're all local people. I know, like, he's, you know, his boy and his daughter sometimes chip in as well and, Obviously, Nicky's always there telling Paul what to do, right? But there's, you know, like I say, so you've got to think that there's five or six people that are missing out on their, even if it's like minimum wage for six or seven hours a week, they're missing out on that as well. And Islington Council have really got to start bearing in bearing that in mind that even though you know people like yourself and, and me and our families no longer live in Islington, uh, we still care about the local community and we still want the local community and local students to actually get some money. in. So yeah, it, it's, it's one of those, it's, you know, like they need support, they need help. And like I say the Arsenal is a club by the Arsenal foundation. I think they're doing brilliant. They're doing a wonderful job. They really, really are. And um, so let's, um, let's, let's just kick us on a little bit and obviously focus on, on the club itself. And interestingly, we've just talked about the COVID situation because if you believe Raul Sanyehi, that's the reason why he left the club. So let's start with that because this Saturday, I don't know what you were doing, but I was uh, just checking, scrolling through my uh, my Twitter feed as usual on a Saturday morning and suddenly I saw the club statement, Raul Sanyehi is, is leaving the business effectively immediately. And... I don't know about you, but I didn't quite buy the um, comments in the release from the club and then from Raul Sanyehi that, um, you know, it was all very nicey-nicey and, you know, uh, let's all, you know, it's been a great time together, but it's naturally come to its end, all of that. And then Raul, through his personal statement, had said it was COVID-related. Do you believe that? Right, well, what we've got to say before either of us says anything is the fact that Arsenal have informed a few journalists that if anybody says that Bale was uh, underhand, took a backhander, or there was issues with the Pepe deal, that their lawyers are going to sue them. So I think, for the sake of yourself and Dave, right, we've got to you know, categorically say that this had nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that we paid 72 million quid for Pepe and agents got a large chunk and it's got nothing categorically to do with everything else. Uh, yeah, like I say, we've got to be careful what we fucking say here, mate, really. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, 
I mean, I, I just think basically, I mean, I was, um, I'm not a fan of the director of football style setup, and from how it's turned out with Edu and Arteta and Per, I kind of like that setup because it's almost like Arteta's saying Arteta and Adu are going to have a chat with each other. They're going to target who they want to target, whether that's from personal experience or whether that's from the data monkeys that they're using. Uh, but I actually prefer that kind of setup. I, I want, I, I don't want a head coach. I want a manager. I want him to say, right, I want that man. I want Willian. I want Louise. You go out and get him. That, that, that's what I want. I, I mean, I don't know how you stand with these modern director of football setups, Chris, because we've never really spoke about it, have we? No, we haven't. So when even Gazidis, um, and that name obviously um, leads a bad taste in my mouth, because I don't think he was very good for Arsenal in any way, shape or form. But when he was in charge, you had a clear delineation of power. There was a man in charge and he was supposed to bring in a structure uh, post Wenger, which was supposed to work. And you had Sven, who was Mr. Scout. And you had Raul, who was Mr. Fixer, as I know a couple of other podcasts have said as well. And then you had uh, someone like Vinay, who was working with the uh, commercial side of the business. That's and you've got other people and all of that sort of stuff. When even Gazidi left, too, perhaps too early, but to be honest with you, I was happy he was gone at the time, uh, in my personal opinion. Um, it, left the, it left that power vacuum. And what they filled it with just didn't work, in my opinion. I didn't think that you... It, it didn't make sense to have two people I didn't, at the I top. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't think the structure worked. I no. didn't think the structure that they set up worked. But to say that Gazidis actually did anything mm. uh, w- w- would hurt me in the back of my throat. Because I don't think... I, I, think, he, I think he stole a living, Chris. Yeah. And, and no one will ever persuade me otherwise. But how they sort of replaced it was you, know, you, you can't have you can't have you can't you can't have you can't have two bosses mate you can't yeah. have two, that's it you can't have two bosses it didn't work did it so and that was no. my that was my issue so i i'm not a fan of gazidis but it felt a little bit more simplified and in theory that approach should have worked i mean i perhaps if we'd have had a different better chief executive um that could have worked because he could have because it it came clear to me that there was there was a power struggle and that's why we saw Sven left that that was over a year ago now but Sven Mislintat left you know quite quickly when it seemed that the club weren't going to be um adopting the exact approach that he was he was led to believe yeah. so you've got Sven Mislintat has left you've then got um the question mark i mean people have made question marks as we said we are not making any links here between um, any deals that have been done. But it's fair to say that publicly, lots of fans have questioned the influence of agents, um, whether that's agents like Kia Drabchin, Arturo Canales, or Canales, I think that's how you saying his name. And it didn't sit right with people. But what I think from my perspective, if I look back on Raoul's time in charge, there was a couple of things that he'd said, one of which was we were going to get, we were not going to run down players' contracts anymore. Well, that's clearly not happened. And the second thing was we're going to be smarter in the market. Now, I'm not an expert, but if you haven't got money to just chuck at 
big signings like the cities and the Uniteds and the PSGs of this world, then you need to find the the kind of deals that we're seeing the the, the German teams pick up, you know, or the French don't, teams don't, pick up. Don't you, like I say, I mean, don't you think that we? I mean, I thought we had a I thought we had a pretty decent summer transfer window. Well, and, I think. I mean, yeah, and I'm I'm probably quoted as saying it was a nine out of ten transfer window, but like I say, due to I mean, you could even bring in the Ozil kind of scenario there and Emery losing his way completely big time. He completely fell off a cliff. Uh, so, but like I say, I mean, if you think, look, you know, Martinez and Pepe, I think Pepe will have a better season next year. 100%. I, think we, I thought we had a fairly decent transfer window last year, but we didn't necessarily have to structure. And the problem you've got is, again, you know, a lot of people were going to want to completely hammer Emery, but the setup with that was a director of football strategy, and you know there were so many rumours last year with uh, Sahar from Paris, mm. uh, and there was a little bit of dis- discontent amongst the fan base, and they wanted to, they you know there was this need and this urge to get a big name, big spend signing in. Which, which was Pepe, and you know it's unfair to judge Pepe, and it's unfair to judge any player on the amount that they actually cost us. But you know it, it's it, it was just one of, it was just one of those. I mean, it was just a bad setup. Now, yeah. hopefully, what we've got now and what we're left with uh, is Arteta almost dictating to Edu. And that, that's what I that's what I want to see. I, I want to see a manager and I, I want to see Arteta for that, there for the next 10 years. Yeah. Do, do you, you think, think Gav, sorry to interrupt. Um, here's a quick question. Do you think if we were to fast or rewind in time and Arteta's the manager last summer, do you think that Pepe deal gets done? Do you think all of these deals get, get done? And it's a bit of a difficult one for me to, I guess, articulate because... I guess what I'm saying is I feel like Arteta has more leverage and more power than Emery did. I think what's helped that is the FA Cup because, you know, in our fans' eyes now, hold on a second, we've got a guy that's only been here five minutes and he's already delivered a trophy for us. Imagine, and then you start to project, don't you? Imagine what happens in 18 months. Imagine what happens in two years if he's been able to to do what he wants to do. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited as a fan and I'm thinking in two years' time, if he has his own way, you know, we could be fighting for a title. Maybe that's a silly, um, a silly pipe dream. But do you think if we hadn't done the Pepe deal last summer, let's just say that same deal is coming up now. Do you think we go and get Pepe for that sort of money? Do you, do you think we get him for less money? Do you even think we get him at all? Ooh, I would certainly suggest that we wouldn't be getting him for the money that we got him for. Mm. Uh, and, but like I say, I mean, it's... Arteta has obviously come in and said he wanted to be his own man. And I think Arteta may have as much to do with Real leaving as anybody else in the club. Yeah. Uh, because he's almost making his position redundant. Uh, the fact that he's won the FA Cup uh, only strengthens his position. And the fact that he's already got friends in the club, uh, he must have a very good relationship with... Uh, uh, with Ken Fryer. Uh, we can't obviously not dismiss the role that Tim Lewis is going to be playing. 
Uh, whether Tim Lewis works out to be a good thing or a bad thing, who knows? But he's definitely the Cronkies boy on the board. He's their 24-7 man in the club now. And I'm hoping that him and Arteta and him and Ado, and obviously include Per as well, have got a really, really good relationship and a really good, strong understanding. So hopefully if, if them can sort of, they can sort of do their jobs between them, uh, we, we, so we could start improving. And we could start, you know, we could hopefully, I mean, like I say, we all, we all want, to, um, as much as we all slagged off top four ain't a trophy, we all want top four next year. Yeah. Everybody wants top four next year because it's a sign of improvement. So, but like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you see, I mean, how, how do you see Tim Lewis fitting into the, the, the structure, Chris? So I think, that, and do you know what, I, I only found out this today, I didn't know Tim Lewis was an actual Arsenal fan, so that gave me quite a bit of heart, actually, to be fair. I mean, it shouldn't really make a lot of difference because he's in a business position, but it gave me a bit of heart to know that he's a big Arsenal fan. Uh, so that's positive. I think that's a good move from from the Cronkies. They've got an experienced guy in from Clifford Chance who's going to act as a as a talking um, talking piece. That's probably not the right word. Well, but almost gonna, a... it, it, well he, he, he's their mouthpiece. He's their, yeah. he, he's going to be because I say they with the COVID and all that they can't be running over every month in their right. private jets. So it, basically, he's their boy. He's the voice of KSE He's the and boy, on yeah. the ground. And yeah. then you, so then you've also got Arteta, who's clearly a stronger character than Emery because Arteta and Josh Kroenke, Josh Kroenke's already said how he speaks to Arteta regularly. So the Kroenke's have got that, almost the um, belief in Arteta and that trophy will have made a big difference probably to them as well, looking at from afar. So there's more, the lines of communications feel a little bit more open than they were under Raul. Do you think that? I mean, just give me your general opinion. Like, do you would you will you look back on Raoul's time and think it's been a success? I think he had a good summer transfer window. Yeah, but I've never really sort of particularly warmed to him or understood quite what his role was. Uh, and I've got a question for you that I want to throw you back at. Right? Yeah, go on, go on. Do you think that Arteta came into the club? Wanting to be his own man, uh, which is something that he sort of almost insisted on, because obviously we know that there was protracted talks between Arteta and the club before he was actually announced. Whereas, do you think that Emery wanted a job so badly that he took any terms? Maybe. I mean, that's a really I mean? good question. That's a really good question. I think. So there's a couple of bits here. Like what's playing around in my head is number one, Arteta hadn't managed a single football team before. Um, it'd been it. Everyone has spoken so highly of him in the game. Um, I, I know Dave Seeger of this parish, of this Gunnerstown parish, has said how he's spoken to a few people, coaches, who have said amazing things about Arteta um, yeah. under Guardiola, and we know that the influence that he's had. So I think he knew that he had a bit of leverage but not loads of leverage. But I think that has literally flipped since the second he walked in through the front door and he started changing things. But also he's had that validation of that cup now that his stock, it's not just sort of risen, it's almost doubled, tripled, quadrupled, because he can now, even if they'd have been very different, he'd have been able to say, right, um, the situation that we're in now, 
Um, I have proven to you that I can deliver trophies. I have proven to you that I can turn the club around. So it doesn't matter if you, um, if I had to, if when I arrived, I might have had to uh, wake, make some concessions well, or what have you. Yeah, he yeah, he's himself, done it now. Yeah. He's done it now. So my gut feel is that um, this this summer, what's happened over the last lock, since lockdown has effectively enabled the goalpost to be moved a bit which is probably for the better because he's going to now be going into this window and thinking, actually, I'm calling a few more of the shots now. And with Raul gone as well, and Edu, I think there's a bit of pressure on Edu, but he's not the same person as Raul, is he? I don't know that he's got the same connections. So they're going to rely on each other quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, Edu's sort of got a delivery in the South American market and Edu's got the uh, umphers. He knows all the Brazilian players. He knows all the Brazilian kids. So... Like I say, that's why we've probably been linked to a few people that I've never heard of who are Brazilian. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I almost think now that Edu is almost a little, you know, between Edu and Tim Lewis, they're going to be almost Arteta's fixers. So, you know, we're not really in a situation we are with a head coach and a director of football with, with you know, we're sort of, Arteta is almost like a hybrid now. He's almost yeah. like a hybrid uh, head coach, stroke manager, uh, yeah. which which is a situation that I actually prefer. Uh, I'm not I'm not in favour of how clubs like Barca, PSG, and etc. do it, where they've got a director of football who buys the players and expects the manager to fit them in. If the manager doesn't know what he needs, you're screwed. Yeah, because he's got to know, hasn't he? Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's and in saying that, like I say, what I did, what I would like to say to you, Chris, right, is and I'll throw a question at you, is we've bought a couple of kids for the under twenty threes uh, over this week. Uh, we got the fellow off Tottenham, the fellow off Huddersfield, and we've got a Norwegian fella. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that means that a lot of our Players like uh, Saka, uh, Maitland-Niles, Willock, etc. Is that the hole that they because they've progressed quicker? Is that the hole they're trying to fill, or or I think, are players for the future? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think so. I, so I wrote a piece a few years ago, basically calling you know the youth setup a bit of a cash cow because if you are a big club like Arsenal, you can bring players into your top facilities, you can train them up. You can send them out on loan a couple of times. And if they don't make it into the first team, you know, you've paid them a nominal wage, but then you're getting three, four, five, six million quid for them. Now, that was a good five years ago. I think I wrote that piece, but I don't think my view has changed. I think that Arsenal have, you're you're absolutely spot on. They have elevated some of those younger players who are now essentially established first teamers. So they've got a bit of a gap. And if you think about what the club have been doing in terms of the scouting network and things like that, they've openly said, I think that they're targeting that kind of under 23 style player. That's maybe 17, 18, that type of age, rather than go for the 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds. They're really focusing on, on that age just before they reach the first team. If you can get in those types of players, get them out on loan, um, they either then make it, or if they don't make it, you tell it, you sell them on for a bit of a profit. So to me, that kind of makes a bit of sense. Um, taking a punt, uh, it's a low risk punt that that might work, but 
I think you and I both know, and certainly you talked to Woz um, about this, again, also of this uh, Gunnerstown Parish, uh, and he'll tell you that the number of players that come up from the youth team that actually get into the first team and establish themselves as good, excellent pros for Arsenal, you can count them on one hand in the last decade. So I think it is, it's more of a take a punt on players. They might make it, they might not, they might make us some money. That's my, that's my kind of view um, mm. of it. And it's all money that, that goes back into the coffers, which actually brings me, because we're reaching the last few minutes of uh, today's podcast. And I know you don't really like talking about transfers, so I've saved it just for the last two and a half minutes. Um, well, I, I, I tell you, you what, know, you, so. you, you, you do ins, I'll do outs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so gratis to Napoli. Thoughts on that? Because that's emerged today. Uh, yeah, no, you know, if if that happens, yeah, all good. We 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 know we've got to sell players. We know we've got to get some income. Uh, if that happens, thank you very much for your service. You've done, yeah, you've done okay. Uh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Yeah, I mean, and the rumours are that we are. It's this merry-go-round, isn't it? So, what's supposedly happening at the moment is you've got Koulibaly, who is at um, uh, Napoli, supposedly Man City want to buy him. Yeah. If they get that money, they want to go after uh, Gabriel uh, Mahal. I think it's Mahales from. Uh, he's Brazilian, uh, so don't. I've probably butchered his name. So apologies, any Brazilians <laughs> listening from Lille. Uh, Arsenal are apparently on the verge of of, of making that one um, an official thing. Uh, if yeah. you you listen to the rumours, he's a left-sided centre-back that makes sense. But I put something out today because what I don't understand is we went out and got Pablo Mari literally six months ago, seven months ago, if you like, mm. uh, on loan. We've made that loan permanent. I I understand that we need to improve our defensive setup, but you're looking at it now. You've got Mustafi who's injured, so that's going to be difficult to sell. You've got Chambers who's injured, so that's going to be difficult to sell. We've got Saliba who's just joined. You've got Louise who's just joined. You've got um, Holding who's just played in the cup final. You've got this Mahalis as well. Um, I'm looking at those numbers and I'm thinking it's not adding up here. I'm, I'm looking at someone like maybe Chambers. Is he going to move on? But for me, he's got more versatility, so I would keep him. Holding, holding's the one that I'm not sure because he's 25 years old. I don't think he's blessed with the best amount of pace. I thought he was okay in the cup final, but not great. But that was a symptomatic of the player that he is. So my view, and I'd be interested to get your view here. Would you, if we're going to cash in on Sogradis, maybe we won't get hardly any money from him, but it's just freeing up space. Would you also move Holding on, or would you keep him? See, this is the problem, and like I say, I mean, I, I've, you know. Kino, Kino's wrote a very good blog about this a couple of days ago uh, for, uh, for the website. And, I mean, I'll, I'm literally just reading out what you said because I've got it in front of me because I knew this was coming up. Right? We've got four senior central defenders in Louise, Sabaya, yeah. uh, Gabriel yeah. and Marvin, Right, Mustafi and Chambers are both going to be out. I, I believe Chambers might be back September, October. Right, but if he's not fully fit by the transfer window on the 4th of October, then we've got no chance of flogging him. So we've got Mustafi and Chambers that we have to keep along with the other four. Mm. The problem is, is that leaves uh, Socrates and Holding. Uh, and so we've got eight at the moment. And literally, I mean, Louise has just signed a new contract. Gabrielle and Amari, fairly nuisance in. Sabiera, near in. 
So if we're going to cash in on centre-backs at the moment where we are sort of overpopulated, it's going to be Socrates and Holding. You've, yes. there, there's, there's literally no logical, there's no, no choice around it. I mean, you know, unless we've signed Louise to get a transfer fee by selling him, which <laughs> would be mental. Who's going to pay for him? <laughs> well, you never know. I saw something about him going into France, but we'll we'll park that one for now because it's purely just speculation. And I think I agree with you. I agree with Kino's as well. Um, I can't see... I don't. I, I can't quite see how Rob Holding fits in if we're signing this left-sided centre-back. The only question mark, I guess you could say, is if Arteta is going to more permanently put three at the back, um, because ideally you want to say, well, you want you want four or five cent halves then for the start of the season. If you got, if you're going to play four at the three at the back every single week, but I'm not sure he will, you know, because I think Arteta is going to rotate it quite a lot. So if if he's going to play four at the back for two thirds of the season, then yeah. You don't need five, six centre halves, do you? So, no, but it all depends, not. really. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, you've got the other, you've got the other thing. Uh, uh, Kieran uh, is quite confident and quite happy to be playing as a left-sided centre back as well. So, I mean, you, you've got another one to add into the mix. I mean, obviously, you want to see him as an attacking sort of left, left, left fullback, really. Uh, but you've got that as well. But if we do buy another centre back. I would say it's pretty, pretty obvious that Arteta's uh, favourable setup is going to be free at the back. And obviously, with our with our injury record that we've had over the years, mate, we're we're probably going to need about twelve centre backs yeah. to make it through the season. It feels week, like you know? it, doesn't it? It feels like our squad wouldn't be big enough if there were forty of them that were all just sitting there, <laughs> like an American football team. Listen, we have literally just hit the thirty-minute mark. Uh, that's flown by far too quickly. There's lots more we could have talked about, but yeah. um, hopefully we'll be back, uh, guys. If you're listening to this uh, this time next week, I uh, don't know who it'll be. We'll have to see from the lads who's available. But that'll be a pre-mental. This isn't it, Gav? It'll be a pre-Community Shield Cup final. Is that is it a cup final with the Community Shield oh. season opener? I think we call it. Yeah. We? So. Well, I mean, I've, well, for for want of going on another rant here. I don't understand why we're playing in a charity game when a huge bulk of the charity money was coming from fans inside the ground. So I don't quite understand why they were even holding this mm. uh, this year. Uh, I say, especially, you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't understand it. I mean, let, let's hope we smash the scouts anyway. Yeah. But so uh, I don't quite understand why they're holding it and. Yeah, we'll we'll go from there, won't we? Do you know what I mean? Well, we'll, uh, and then when, when does the season start? Uh, it's the 12th of uh, September. So we start 12th of September. So it's 29th of August is the Community Shield. And then two weeks later is the 12th of September. And that why, is... Why is it the week after? Why are we not playing it on the 5th? I think there's an international weekend, most likely. But um, don't quote me on that, listener or viewer, or whatever you are. Um, we are out of time for today. Um, Gav, as always, thank you very much for joining me, sir. No, it's been, it's been a pleasure, mate. Like I say, so, uh, it, it's, I've been delighted to be joining you boys uh, for the, the back end of this, this season. And like I say, we'll, we'll do some good stuff over the next year. Yeah, We've got gonna... some good boys who are going to come on. We're going to have some very good stuff. We're going to have some very good chats. Um, we're looking forward to the season ahead. But um, from me, from Gav, it's thank you very much. And we will see you next time on the Gunnerstown podcast. Bye-bye.
Ja, erste. Ja, erste.